on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, we're also out of coffee. Strategist, consultant, teacher, James Carville is with us. Welcome. To Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you on Murmur Radio. MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. Follow the show. You can also listen anytime. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. MurmurRadio at gmail.com. If you have a subject you would like me to pair with a guest, I will take your subject. I will give you full credit. I will match it with a guest. I will bring you on if you want, and we can talk about it, see what you think. See if we handled it adequately or inadequately. Welcome. Welcome back. Every murmur, we have one subject and one guest. Today's guest is James Carville. James has done his fair share of pretty much everything that has to do with advising, consulting, thought-provoking, talking, listening, bone-motting, he has done it politically, probably foremost, uh, but not first. He actually started as a lawyer at some point. He was also a corporal in the military. So he's used to systemic ideas. Uh, he was born in Carville, Louisiana, a, a part of the country that is steeped in colloquial wonder apropos to our subject today. He is also a sports fan. He is a huge LSU Tigers fan. He uh, did a sports show on Sirius XM Radio called, I think it's called 6020 Sports with Luke Russert, the late, great Tim Russert's son. So he's used to systemic ideas. He's used to navigating within systems. He's used to leading systems and systems, whether it's political systems, communal systems, ecological systems, sports systems, military systems, domestic systems, usually have a moment or two of today's subject, which is crisis. Oftentimes on Murmur, we talk about terms and words and states and forms and formats and strategies that have gone out of fashion. Today is the opposite. Well, it's an ironic opposite because it's not out of fashion. It's changed because it's used so often. The subject is crisis. 
every day, turn on the news, turn off the news, turn on Twitter, turn off Twitter, you're going to hear breaking news. You're going to hear special alerts. You're going to hear bulletins. You're going to hear this just in. This is breaking. This is new, noteworthy. And I was thinking, well, it can't all be noteworthy. If everything is noteworthy, what is noteworthy? And then I thought, well, what is panic? What induces panic? And it's crisis. Not everything can be a crisis. What is crisis when everything is a crisis? Is crisis temporal? Is crisis of the moment? Is crisis longstanding? The U.S. is a very reactive country. We are in crisis mode all the time, but we are a very reactive country in terms of crisis. We react to crisis after we're told it's a crisis. But now there's so much reaction because there's so much crisis. <laughs> everything is a crisis politically. Everything is a crisis. Everything is a crisis semantically. There's crisis in sports. There's crisis in culture. There's crisis in art and entertainment. It can't all be a crisis. It's a call. It's to get your attention. But it's unfortunate because the word is a really fascinating word. It's a Middle English word. Its meaning comes from that moment medically when a decision has to be made. It's a point of decision. It's a decision-making moment. One of its Greek etymological parents is the word decision. To decide, a decisive point, a crisis. But every day we have a crisis. It can't all be crisis. James, Carville, what is a crisis? <laughs> I want to do a lightning round with James and, and see what he thinks the dividing lines are, the Mendoza lines between that which is a crisis, that which is drama, that which is a condition, that which needs action, that which needs reaction, that which needs managing, that which means patience. I don't expect a lot of patience in today's talk. Our country is not a patient one. How can our country be a reactive country, yet an impatient country? I think it's crisis. I think we're told everything demands our attention. It demands our attention, but does it demand our action? Action is fickle, depending on how you view things politically, geographically, economically, diplomatically, presidentially. <laughs> Those who act now tend to run afoul of our president. Crisis is simply, yes, this is a crisis. Oh, don't act. <laughs> But again, in all defense of the public, we are torn about what to act upon because everything seems to have the same critical timbre. Critical. Crisis. Moment of truth. Moment of decision. James has had a few. <laughs> James uh, started political consulting in 1982, began managing political campaigns. He's actually managed campaigns in over 23 nations. Most notably, I think, when he became a household name was the 92 election campaign of Clinton, of Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, that was captured in a really amazing film called The War Room by D.A. Panabaker, who's been with us at the Modern School Film, and Chris Hedges. So James was part of that moment in time with what he calls the incoming of the presidential election, the ultimate presidential election of Bill Clinton. Yeah, there was a Jennifer Flowers moment or two dozen. <laughs> yes, there was a draft avoidance moment or two dozen. Yes, there was a New York Times saying the, the, the campaign is bankrupt, that, that they won't make it to the convention on one foot. Incoming. And James and George Stephanopoulos and, and, and Clinton all handled these crises. James said he wouldn't trade it for anything. He called it boot camp. It's sort of uh, a, a critical boot camp, a boot camp of crisis. Again, though, when everything is crisis, nothing is crisis. James is also featured in a film, a 2005 film called Our Brand is Crisis. It was originally a documentary, was made into a fictional film. It's about the 2002 presidential campaign, a former Bolivian president, Goni Sanchez de Lozada. Goni won that campaign. But later, a couple of years later, 
he uh, proposed the exporting of Bolivia's natural gas to the U.S., which caused a lot of civil unrest and death. And actually, in 2018, a Florida federal jury found Goni and a government min- minister liable for the deaths of eight bystanders shot by soldiers. Not trivial at all. Crisis. Many people consider life and death crisis. Many people call domestic domestic situations crisis. Terrible segue, but James's wife, uh, brilliant Marley Madeline, is a Republican political consultant. I'm not saying they're in any form of crisis. It's funny. They are the opposite of it. They prove that crisis is relative. It may make it a condition. It may make it a moment. It may make it something manageable. Is crisis life and death? I think we're in an education crisis. I think young kids are suffering under certain educational systems. Therefore, it is a crisis. Anytime we affect lives, I think that's a crisis. It's a critical moment. So today with James, we're going to look at both sides of it. What is the cry wolf of crisis? What is the action moment for crisis? Can't all be critical. Yes, it's for cable news. Yes, it's for radio news. Yes, it's for radio talk show. It has revolutionized a form of moving culture crisis has. It has changed the way we live, crisis. And I'm not just talking about important political moments. And it's funny, I'm sure James is going to regale us with anecdotes, political, historic, military anecdotes. And it's I'm not trying to sound glib about it. He's a brilliant guy with a lot of information, a lot of historic information and comparisons. I think when you work in politics, you have to be aware of the metaphors that coexist, the history that coexists. No, this was a crisis. This was not a crisis. Another historical container that, that James has been the gatekeeper and actually the author of is rhetoric. Crisis has become a form of rhetoric. If everything is a crisis, then not everything labeled as a crisis is a crisis. So then it defaults to rhetoric. And James, to me, is a sort of amazing master of rhetoric. Rhetoric doesn't mean it's deceptive. Rhetoric at its height is food for thought. James's most well-known piece of rhetoric was advising Clinton during the 92 campaign, saying it's the economy, stupid. (laughs) It's really something that's lived on over 20 years, over 25 plus years. You're going to hear very quickly that James has a great pride in the region of the country he lives in. One of my favorite James Carville quotes is, I come from New Orleans, where we say half of our city is underwater and the other half is under indictment. That's part of James's trail, truth and fun. Crisis, I think unfortunately for crisis, more people are having fun with the term and fun using it as a tool of marketing. It's not. It's a moment where culture changes, where history is made at its best, at its most optimal. What has happened to crisis? Where have you gone crisis? Can you believe I'm even saying that? (laughs) I never thought I would miss it. James is a teacher now, so maybe in his mouth as an educator, he can redefine for his students what crisis is. Today on Murmur, he's going to define it for us or redefine it or dedefine it or leave it open-ended. I don't know. I'm finding the most fruitive talks are when the guest brings us right up to the line and we decide if we have to jump. (laughs) So you decide, will you be jumping with us today or will you be staying in the airplane? (laughs) We have a nice selection of parachutes for you (laughs) today on the show. Today on Murmur, James Carville. Now this. What's happening, Captain? We're off course and computer locked. That fire in Rock's core must have played havoc with his higher brain functions. Captain! Mr. Dunn and Mr. Unger were sucked out in airlock in the computer room. Both together? Mr. Dunn and Mr. Unger were sucked out in airlock in the computer room. Don't panic. Calm down, ladies. Now, are there any other problems? Captain, we've run out of coffee. Damn, if I told him once, I told him a hundred times. Store extra coffee! Ladies and gentlemen, please calm down. 
Please listen to me. I want to tell you what's going on with the ship. Thank you. We've been thrown off course just a tad. What's a tad? Yes. Exactly. What's a tad? What exactly is a tad? In space terms, that's about half a million miles. The bombs you feel are asteroids smashing into the hull of this ship. Also, we're flying without a navigational system and can't oh, seem to change nice. course. Miss, are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <gasps> <laughs>
edited version for you. Thank you. Today we're talking about crisis. Crisis is taking a, a beating. There's news updates. There's breaking news every day. How does that even happen? So today we need an expert in the field. Uh, he is the pride of Carville, Louisiana, a town named after his grandfather. Oh, never mind the gigaws. Please welcome to the Modern School Film and to Murmur Radio, Mr. James Carville. James, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. What, what? I'm showing the crisis. I want to use uh, an old teacher trick on you because you're an old teacher now as well as I am. Crisis used to be a medical term. It's it's an early 15th century term when things took a turning point medically and something needed to be done. But every day we talk about crisis and not a lot is being uh, done. Define the word crisis on modern terms. What does the word crisis mean? It means when the fecal matter engages the rotor blade. <laughs> end That's of the crisis. End of interview. <laughs> you, you know, do you, do you think it's been watered down? Do you think the term's been watered down? Is that overly poetic, or is that fair in this age of breaking news every goddamn day? Well, I mean, look, what is it? I mean, a crisis is Hitler invading Poland, or the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor, all right, or Fukushima in Japan, or Katrina. I mean, you know, that crisis like everything else. There, there are grades of them. A, a divorce in a family could be a crisis. Right. I mean, so it's a it's a term that is just broadened, and we just broaden it to, to, to everything, and it probably loses its, its power of meaning at some point. I mean, my daughter will call me, and she has a crisis in life because she didn't get a, a grade she wanted or something. You I mean, know? Is that drama? Is that drama? Probably, but and most everything else we have you know, category five or category one or stage eight or stage three. I mean, you know, everything has its own uh, nomenclature, and we probably overuse the word crisis a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing you do, something like this, is you determine, first of all, do we have a situation or a problem? Mm. Because if you have a problem... You can solve it. If you have a situation, you have to manage it. Because if you try to solve a situation, it's going to end in disaster. A really good example of that was, you know, what led to the invasion of Iraq. We were convinced that we had, you know, a problem or a crisis, but in fact, we were faced with a situation. Some of these things are not reducible to being solved. They, they have to be managed. Mm. Uh, probably the same is true in North Korea. And if you try to solve something that needs management, the best example I can think of, you know, urinary tract infection, you, you have a problem. You, you, can, you can take antibiotics and you can fix the problem. If you have periodontal disease, you have a situation. You manage it. <laughs> but you just don't go cutting teeth out. <laughs> You're a man of great expression, and you know expressions. You were born with expressions, and you live with them, I'm sure. There's an expression that there are two types of people in the world, people who will tell you the plane is on fire and people who will tell you how to land the plane. It seems like those two uh, personae are alighting. What's the danger of that? If the messenger becomes the problem maker, if Othello and Iago become the same person, A, is that happening? B, what's the downside, and, and is there an upside as well? One of the things I saw this morning, uh, that just sent me into an outrage. It's, I'm a cradle Catholic. And I found out that when the reaction to the 2002 was the bishops hired a New York PR firm 
to set up all the meetings. Just for context, you're referring to the clergy abuse scandal, the sexual abuse scandal by the clergy in Boston. That's a real crisis. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have a situation. They had a problem, and they thought they could manage the PR, and now it is totally blown up on them. Mm. I mean, that was a real, real misdiagnosis. Let's get some guys in New York to help us manage this. Mm. And, boy, that was the bad decision right there. <laughs> really bad. You said something really interesting about you actually had, on your terms, a remarkably happy childhood. Do you work well under crisis? I mean, is there a benefit to that idea of expectation or reaction? Do you work well under crisis? Well, I mean, I I, I think I do. Uh, You know, but like like anybody else, I I hope I've learned from mistakes. The first thing when you you face with, with, with something like this is what I learned from the crisis that we faced with in, in 1992, in the early part of 92, is, and this is not brilliant or insightful, but it is true, your biggest enemy is fatigue. Hmm. Because when you're in the middle of this, and you're all jazzed up, and in the back of your mind you think there's some injustice somewhere, and you're tired and you're angry, the first inclination is is to tell somebody exactly what you think of them, which usually involves a, a stream of four-letter words and <laughs> derivatives of four-letter words, yes. which is not smart. No. But I've seen more people make more mistakes out of fatigue than anything else. It's interesting. And, and with a 24-hour right. news cycle or 40... 40- yes, it, you, and you know it's not going to go away. There's, there's nothing that you're going to do, and if you try to do something in 24 hours... To deal with it, you're just going to make it worse, and then you're going to not get any sleep for 72 hours, and then you're going to do one dumb thing after another. <laughs> is, is there any such thing anymore as a, a Friday afternoon news dump? A day of the week, a time of the week, a moment of the week, late in the week, where bad news was typically revealed publicly, so no one had to really deal with it because it was hidden on Friday. Hey, you know, that's a good, you know what? I, I, that's a really good, good question. And prior to 1992, when, when things start, as we look at them through the rearview mirror, they seem so obvious. Yeah. The, the predicate, a news cycle had a, a, a predictable lifespan. Somebody would write a column in the Times or the Post or Newsweek or whatever it was back then, and then people would take off on that, and then there would be something on the evening news, and it'd be something the next day on TV. And basically... What I decided is that we live in an era of really compressed news cycles and that most of the day in the fall of 1992 happened before 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it happens four seconds after it happens, but (laughs) it was the first kind of recognition that we live in really compressed news cycles that things require attention almost immediately. Well, some news cycles don't go away, as you know. I mean, we have a news cycle in office right now who's not going away, uh, which is ironic. You know, there's obsession, there's there's short-term and long-term memory. We have kind of both now. Another beat I want to talk to you about is rhetoric, because there's something about rhetoric and crisis. You know, growing up as a good Southern kid uh, and being in politics, you know, you've created rhetoric, and I mean this as a compliment. I, I don't know anyone else I could talk to that's created a form of rhetoric. 
you know, I was thinking about 1992 with you. We're talking with uh, James Carville. Uh, you were 48 at the time, not to relitigate any of this, uh, counselor. Right. You said you underwent in 92 a lot of incoming. And I was thinking of your experience as a Marine. Uh, what about rhetoric? How does that fit in? Is that the solution or the cause? I guess of everything in all my many years in politics, I, to my knowledge, I've never had to say, if I said something that offended someone, I sincerely apologize and not my true meaning. So that's, a, that's an achievement if I look back on my life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've used some colorful language before. Uh you know, think of rhetoric, I, I, kind of as I've grown older, one of my favorite quotes is Mark Twain, who said the difference between the right word and the nearly right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've come to maybe have a better appreciation for words. Always thought it taught me some of that. But, you know, sometimes if, if people... You know, St. Francis told his disciples to go forth and teach the gospel, speak if necessary. And we really have to understand that speech is but one form of communication. Mm. And, you know, sometimes to, to draw fire, you know, sometimes your job is to draw the income, and so you, 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 you have a client, have a candidate. They are angry, and they want to respond, and you don't want them to respond. So sometimes you have to have exaggerated rhetoric not so much that it's going to change the, the trajectory of the story, but it'll keep your person from going and saying the same thing or similar things if they feel like somebody's out there speaking. But I notice that, you know, Trump is like, I wish I had Roy Cohn back. And yeah. I, can, I can see what's unfolding. No one will defend me, so I'm going to go out and do it myself. Now, I don't want to compare anybody to Trump because that's... Not that's fair to anybody. <laughs> but but, <laughs> yes. but you... you you see it in an exaggerated sense. But Twitter masquerades as speech. You know, you said something interesting about words. Let me substitute or use the surrogate of speech for words. Is Twitter speech? What? What? And is it? Re- what the hell is Twitter? Because it's it's a it's a danger to crisis. It it it's a band aid on what's really wrong. Because everybody wants to be the breaker of news on Twitter. You're on Twitter. Is Twitter? I do a- not know if this is true. Hmm. But I've been told this, and I suspect it might be true. So if you're a pilot in Air Force or Navy, and you lose an engine, you're supposed to wait three seconds. Because 33% of the time, you shut the wrong engine off. So there's no bigger crisis than you can imagine than being in a twin-engine plane and have an engine catch on fire. And I'm told what you're taught to do is take a deep breath, make sure you got, you're shutting the you know you're shutting the right engine down. <laughs> it's it's a it's a good lesson. And what Twitter, what what Trump does, it allows him to say whatever he's thinking at that time. Mm. And there there is a real danger in expressing your thoughts in real time. That's what technology has sort of done. You know, immediate reactions are like engines flaming out. You can you can do the wrong thing. Twitter, you're right, is a thought, not a speech. I can't emphasize this enough. Go ahead, please. The basis of communications, the what you say, is one form, how you say it is another. So we think that technology is the, the revolution of whatever, and it's instantaneous, and this has really changed the world as we know it in communications. I would argue that the biggest change in communication, you know, 
and even more maybe than the printing press, was radio. Hmm. I mean, if you think you lived in a side house in Nebraska, what your life was the day before you got a radio and the day after you got a radio, that made an impression on you. All of a sudden, everything was instantaneous. All of a sudden, you had all of these things. Now, granted that Twitter and Snapchat and everything else gives you all these devices, but the day before you had Twitter and the day before the day after you had Twitter wasn't very remarkable in your life. I guarantee you, the day before and the day after somebody got a radio, even more than the television, it was it was freaking remarkable, <laughs> really remarkable. You know what's funny, James? We're on the 80th anniversary of War of the Worlds, Orson Welles. Just thinking of that as you were talking, could that even happen anymore? You know, talk about crisis and, and lack of crisis management or, or injecting it. Can something break through? He wasn't a politician, but he was a celebrity. So can Apparently that guy? I don't know a lot about him, but I mean, he was a one talented guy. Yeah, sure was. I mean, I, I wish I knew. I'm a... I, I bet you'd have a lot to talk about. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Wait a minute. The, the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five, five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. A uh, hundred yards away. It's... It's 50 feet. speaking with James Carville, you know, it's funny talking about Trump a little bit deeper. Many were calling him the, the chaos candidate. I was calling him the crisis candidate, you know, because he kind of stirred up this idea. And talk about a man who uses rhetoric from little Marco to lion Ted. What surprised you most? I mean, this you, is you know, honestly, the only thing that mildly surprises me about Trump is that he's still there. That that he'd be gone by now. I think he'd be real busy. Here's the single most predictable human being that ever lived. But there, there, there's so little mystery to Donald Trump. His, his reactions are instantaneous, you know, petty, and not at all thought out. And so there's, I don't know if he ever says something again that, I've gone, guy. Can you believe Trump said this? Of course I can believe he said that. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, I had when in January 2016. I was I have a place in Mississippi Gulf Coast in Bay St. Louis, which if you think of it, it's kind of closer to Louisiana. And I saw he had a rally at the Civic Center in Gulfport. So I said, I'm gonna go see. So I got I got a I drive a Ford pickup truck and been right in. 
you know, got a John Deere cap and some sunglasses <laughs> and just stood there and had 25,000 people at 1030 on Saturday morning. And I said to myself, shit, somebody's going to vote for him. We get 2,500 people at a presidential event. It's people of, of Gaga. You know, Trump, you know, he, his whole persona is, is, is much of his communication sometimes. And that's why he loves those rallies. And it, but it's communicating. But that's not, no, he's not, he doesn't, I'm not surprised by anything that he does. I, I can't say that he's done something that I said, oh, I'm kind of shocked by this. Well, you know, I, I'm not surprised. Every day we seem to hit an idea, and at some point it's not an idea anymore. You know, forget just yeah. Trump. But, but, but I want to ask you one other, last question about Trump. You All know, right, you know, you know, it's funny, and, and you know this, you know, LSU steals from Georgia, Georgia steals from LSU. There's an honor, not honor among Steve's, but there's some respect when something is done well. So let's look at this agnostically, James. You've done consulting, you've, you've done high-level consulting over 23 nations. What do you think Trump does well? I, I, mean, I think, look, I think he is a good, instinctive marketer. You know, he said, look, I, 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 I know this. And, you know, it works out there. And he, you know, he ran for president and he captured the Republican Party. And, you know, he didn't have a, a you know, standard political operation is, is you have an idea and somebody else has an idea and then you kind of test it and you run a poll, you do some focus groups and my idea was better than yours, yours better than mine. I mean, he had this idea from the get-go. His whole idea was, and this is, you know, with heavy emphasis on non-college whites, is, you know, life has not turned out well for you, and the reason is stupid politicians and immigrants. And if we have smart politicians and fewer immigrants, then your life is going to be better. And, boy, he gave you an instant and satisfying explanation as to why your life didn't turn out well. Yeah. And it pretty much exonerated any decision that you might have made. Yeah. You know, if you graduated from high school in 1978, you know, you went right to work and didn't go to college, in all likelihood, your life has not turned out well for you. And as opposed to telling you to go rethink your career track, Trump is saying there's nothing wrong with you. You've just been done in by forces that you couldn't control, but now you can't. And we're going to take in your job and stupid politicians making stupid trade deals. One media, right? You know, forget journalists, but media. Because one thing you said in 92, which was light years ahead of its time, is how Roger Ailes was involved in the counterattack on you guys in the war room. Flash forward, nothing's changed. Uh, Ailes is no longer with us, but nothing's changed. Right. You've seen yeah. multiple sides of this prism, James. You're one of the few who have been on multiple networks. Is it still part of the strategy to preach uh, the precipice of crisis? Is it still part of it, you know, whether it's covertly or, or subtextually? MSNBC, CNN, Fox, is that part of well, it? Well, I mean, first of all, it has been this way for a long time. The media, whatever that is, would, would just leave the word that people can draw the interpretation of whatever they want to describe it. It thrives on crisis. You know, we were like in the middle of the New York primary. And, I mean, that the local press corps in New York is all to its own. They said, look, they're going to fill up so much space. And the question is, what do we give them to fill it up that's not, they could be helpful to us, but not harmful? I mean, the New York Post has got so much space. The Daily News got so much space. The Village Voice got so much space. Even the Times going to have so much space. The, the 
you know, Channel W, whatever, to, is going to have so much, so many things you can talk about. If you leave it to their own devices or your opponents, it's all going to be about inhaling or not, or it's all going to be about, you know, Jennifer Flowers or something. So you're always trying to, you know, you got to feed the beast. You know, the Times was talking about how you guys were almost broke. Why didn't the Times say the opposite? The Times ran a story in May 92 saying Democrats were, you know, looking for an alternative to Clinton. They're like any big institution. They get something in their mind. They've gotten that the, the, the socialist Democrats are taking over the Democratic Party. But, you know, the, the one thing that criticism that journalism is, I think is really valid is, they really talk to each other. Mm. You, you just got to understand it. It doesn't do any good to get mad at it. I mean, it's like anything else has all its reasons. But they do. They spend it. They, they talk among themselves. They, but, but everybody does that. Your film directors talk among themselves. Political consultants talk among themselves. You know, nuclear physicists talk among themselves. All your views become validated by people holding the same view that you talk to. Do you think if it bleeds, it leads? I think I, I think if it's interesting, if they, if they think it's interesting, if it's you know if it's conflict, if it's if it's anything like that, it's it's gonna be, it's gonna it's gonna generate, and a lot of that is driven by cable TV, and, and you know, and also you got so many different news sites and everything. I, I tell my students this: ninety percent of people who watch TV or go to websites or read anything. Everybody wants someone to tell them that they were right in the first place. <laughs> right, right. And this is this is all about validation. And with the sort of explosion in all of these sources of media that you had, what it amounts to is you would think with the availability of the wealth of information that the civic IQ of the nation would rise. When, if anything, it probably could make a pretty persuasive case that it's gotten worse. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm sorry. Wikipedia is a damn good thing. <laughs> you know, we That's blasphemy. Media, uh, That's blasphemy, James. <laughs> I'm teasing. But you know what? If I, if, if I want to be an expert on the Battle of Vicksburg, then I'm going to read books on the Battle of Vicksburg. <laughs> if I want to know what happened at Cross Keys... And I can't remember, I can go to Wikipedia and find out quickly. That's how I knew your mom was a door-to-door encyclopedia saleswoman. I wouldn't have known that otherwise. She knew how to sell. And she knew how to market. Now, I learned this from her. So we would go around, I was like, I don't know, 13. She'd say, son, we've got to find a place with a bicycle and a bass boat. Because that's going to tell us two things. That there's children in the house and disposable income. And you think that old lady was there. This was 1958. Wow. You know, she would knock on the door. You know, people in Louisiana, you know. I mean, we even went door-to-door with black people, which is unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Let's leave the, the racial component out of it for a second. And so she'd sit down, and a lady would come, and, you know, she'd ask to be our kids and how old they are. And said, you know, we have these, and Jeff called them sex, these educational materials. And she'd say, James, that's the capital of Vermont. Monty. Oh, God, what a genius. You know? <laughs> and the lady, kind of, the lady at the house liked it, and the husband came in, and, you know, hello, how are you, Miss Garland? I see you, ma'am. And she said, well, we're offering these educational materials, and, you know, they're $15.99 a month, for, you know, 1500 months or whatever it was back then. And he said, well, Miss Garland, I understand, you know, but we're 
you know, school and the holidays coming up, you know, maybe we can talk about it later. He said, you know, sir, I find it interesting that you can afford a bass boat for yourself, but you won't pay for education materials for your children. Amazing. And a motherfucker was just on the floor. Amazing. I mean, signing anything that you put in front of. Amazing. I'm still in that. I mean, just I've just never seen a close like that. And I was like, even I was a kid, and it come in, and I can just remember thinking to myself, "You're gonna, you're, you're gonna be an oil spot on this car." A- I'm going to get your clock clean, man. ABC, always be Carville. I want to do a lightning round. I know you're on your way to buy Ed Edgeron uh, lunch. That's a joke. That's my joke, not yours. Right. L- let's use crisis agnostically one last time before we say goodbye to Professor Carville. I'm going to give you a couple of genres you've dealt in. Just tell me yes or no. You can give a sentence or more. Are we in this kind of crisis? So let's go. Are we in an environmental crisis? Oh, God, yes. Look, there are more smart people now that think there's not much we can do. Oh God! I mean, of, of the, of the, and have been in the, like the, of the first order. People have been starting to put dates on it, so there's a ticking clock. I agree. Are we in an economic crisis? No. I mean, we, we go from we go. I mean, we're gonna be in one, but we're not right now. Are we in an electoral crisis? Uh, I, I, uh no. We're an electoral problem that. The party that gets the most votes is not being represented. If it's less unattended, it will turn into a big problem. Are we in a cultural slash a Me Too crisis? You know, certainly has been as a Me Too problem. I don't think anybody would sort of deny that. I, uh, no, I, you know, I, I mean, I just preserve the word crisis. I would, I would just as a matter of thinking about it, would preserve it for. I mean, compared to the environmental situation we're in. I mean, the Me Too situation has certainly been put to light and it's probably a lot better here as of, as of recently. But environmental, Steve, I don't think it can compare that to the environmental situation. I don't know if anything compares to that. So does it boil down to life and death? Not, I'm not trying to sound cute here. Is that, well, par- is that part of the alchemy? I mean, you can make, you know, look, a, a company or uh, a people or a campaign like knows this is an issue, any large organization, then you, you, you can say, look, you know, this is what you don't do. This is what you do. You have to be aware. Uh, you have to be these kinds of things. And you can actually improve it. You can improve corporate culture. You can improve anything. It, you can improve it. I, I don't know in this environmental thing. I, I don't know if, it's, if, if you can really improve it. Yeah. Yeah. More and more people that you respect and are talking about it are like, you know, well, maybe the best we can do is, you know, three degrees centigrade in the next hundred years, which is the end of days almost. I mean, that, that's not even, I don't think there's anything comparable to where we are in this environmental problem. And, and I live in, you know, one of the most environmentally sensitive places in, in the country. Sickening. I mean, if you just look at the amount of rainfall that's been produced lately, I mean, you, you know, if you cut emissions 50%, I mean, it would help some, but I, I don't know if that would solve it. I mean, I really don't. This is a, World-class crisis. As you say, an environment is something because it's physical, it's irreparable, and it doesn't go backwards at all. One last thing as we say goodbye, because the next time we have you, I'd love to talk, I'd love to talk to you about... I'd love to talk to you about education one day because I, I want to be a member in one of your classes. Give, give me two 
corollaries and one goodbye, Professor Carville. The two corollaries are, here's a weird one, sports. You were a co-host of a show on Sirius XM. Sports uses alerts and crises. Is, can sports ever be a crisis? Again, we have a crisiser in, in chief now who's trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. Can sports ever rise to that occasion of, of DEFCOM 1 or 5 or whatever the bad one is? Oh, you know, look, I love sports. LSU beat Auburn like you can't imagine. <laughs> yes. I, can't imagine I just don't know that. If, I'll give you something was a crisis was what, you know, the bail or rape stuff. That was a real crisis. They, yeah. they were yeah. raping women all over the campus. Yeah. You have a crisis, you overpay for the coach, you don't win as many games, but people don't come. I mean, if these are all things that, I don't know that you can't compare them to sort of climate issues. I mean, you know, John McKay was the coach at Southern Cal, he said, you know, how can they say there's overemphasis when three billion Chinese don't give a damn if we win or lose? <laughs> <laughs> John, John McKay was the greatest uh, coach quoter oh. ever. Oh, uh, he couldn't score against a strong win. <laughs> What did he say? I'm I'm in favor of of executions. I'm in favor of them or something. John McKay's problems on the sideline are nothing in comparison to the Bucks' problems on the field. The Buck offense is mired in first game mistakes, while the inexperienced Tampa Bay defense can't seem to stop anything. You can't stop a pass or a run. Otherwise, we're in great shape. I've never seen such poor tackling. Hey, what's you? What's wrong with playing Mon in the game? Uh, he tackles. Now Oliver's in there blocking us. He hadn't blocked a guy in 12 years. Been a bunch of. If they were any slower. They have to be two teams. Coach, what do you think of your uh, professional debut? What's it like in the professional ranks? Anything special? No, I was beat 51, not, not, 51, not in the college ranks. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the ran backs must run 127 minutes. <laughs> what did he say? Uh, he, he was asked, uh, what do you think of your team's execution? He said, I'm in favor of it. What do you think of execution? Asked what he thought of Western civilization. He says, I think it would be a good idea. <laughs> Starting with my team. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love the, 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 you know, the, those quotes that are just, you didn't even know they hit. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about you because Coach Speak is one of my favorite things. Monday mornings in our fall, Coach Speak is one of the most fascinating things. Last question before we do say a proper goodbye. What about the state of education? Should we be autopsying this or is this something to be managed and and lived with intelligently? You know, I've read a lot about this, thought about it. We always believe that there was something that we could do that was the secret and it and you know, it people it really like make people learn and, and all of a sudden these schools would get a lot better and if there was a new program where kids could learn math a lot easier, there was something that would happen. And and but what we found out, it's really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it takes this real just money, it takes real time, it takes a lot of, you know, failure, you know, learn as you go along, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter's got a job. She's an academic interventionist at an elementary charter school. Interesting. And, and, and that child will, you know, exhaust herself to no end to work with these kids. And I, I, I don't know how to say, honey, you know, you, you got to you got to be grateful for the small victories because that's about what you're going to get. You know, you're not going to have a third grader. Struggling to read, that you know, a year later is leading you to Iliad. 
it's not going to happen. Your daughter you know? is doing yo person's work. You know, as a, as an yeah. agnostic, I was going to say God's work. So, but I will. So I will say no, it is God's work. It, 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 is, God's it, it is. And and I'm going to fight right. you back politely and say I think this actually is a crisis. Maybe it's because I'm educated. Because I think we're forming communities, right? Say, okay, but just say it's a crisis. I, you, you know, it is. But you know, in Orleans Parish, I mean, there's a lot of thought and a lot of creative people, and a lot of people really working to see that these children have some kind of opportunity. I grew up in segregation. If I would have been born black, I would have gone, I would have started school in a one-room schoolhouse. And if you take a child and, you know, it's in a latchkey home, you know, 37-year-old grandmother, that's hard, man. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. You, you show me, yeah. you know, 37-year-old grandmothers, and I'm showing you that's a that's a crisis in that house, and people are out there in the education sphere. I mean, they're trying. It's not like people are not agonizing over this. And 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 I think what we're learning is, you know, it's just hard. There's so much in life that is just downright difficult. Educating a child is is a noble and and saintly and difficult undertaking. And always will be. It's, always will be. And it's not a generational thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the burnout, like these Teach for America kids come, and they, you know, they're full of piss and vinegar, they're ready to go, and, man, two years later, they, they exhaust it. Fatigue, you know, as you said, fatigue, you know? fatigue, and attrition, man. It is the it is the maker of oh. history. It makes history. It oh. makes kings and queens, and it destroys it, 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 kings and queens. You said it. You know, it I'm, really does. If you can still can type out a hundred and forty or whatever it is characters, I don't have that shit because <laughs> people at drink should not have availability to instantaneous communication. Get the police you know? on this. There needs to be a TUI, Twitter under the influence. Right. I mean, you shouldn't because you. Shouldn't, <laughs> You know, again, I go back to if your first reaction is to turn off the wrong engine. And that's all in Trump and them are. They, they don't sleep. They, no public has no idea. I can't imagine the horror of working in that place. It's just, it's just almost inconceivable. And, and this is a member of the war room saying that. No, no, no. And we went through investigations and impeachment. Yeah, and, yeah. We were all kind of unified in, in, you know, I'm sure there's reckless and about a backstabbing but it, it, it wasn't the sort of they, are, they don't trust anybody for good reason as we said goodbye you know what the thing that's fascinated me over the years with you uh jim of uh, james uh is the thing that's frustrated me with this topic rightfully so uh, i'm going to give you a tim duncan quote I hate this quote. I, love Jeff I do too. I hate this quote. He loved it, but I want to throw it at you because the, the thing about you, you're a closet optimist. He would say water finds its level. So let's leave on that. Do you think that's applicable to our lives? Water finds its level. I, I, I love Tim Duncan, but I'm, I'm going to go with Jamie Dimon. No one's ever gone broke betting on America. Next time we do this, you know, I want to audit your class or I want to talk to you in person. Oh, thank you. Well, you I appreciate the preparation that you did. I, I, I do a lot of these things. You're thoughtful and you do your research and work your ass off. No, I mean, you do your, you know, I think over a period of time, people appreciate that. i tell you this one story, one of my favorites. And this was back in like the later 90s and you know, when you had call slips, I'd come in my office and I'd have like 30 call slips and stuff. And so the guy worked on me, he said, some guy in my shoe and press or something, he keeps calling, wants to talk to you. I said, okay, I try to 
like, and so I call this guy, and he's always called him so glad to talk to him again. I, I have a newsletter from LSU football, sports. And a guy, like, interviewed me for 25, 30 minutes. I mean, knew everything. It's researched everything, every question. And I said, well, like, tell me about your news. I said, what's for, for our, you know, tailgaters? And, you know, we'd love this. about I said, how many people get your newsletter? He said, you know, sometimes we have eight, sometimes we have 12. Oh, my gosh. And this son of a bitch, like, worked <laughs> like, like a rented mule. <laughs> and, you know, that's a guy who takes pride in his work. Yeah. He had a circulation of anywhere, you know, the bad day, you know, for, for the McNeese game, he had eight. For the Alabama game, he had 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he put everything he had into it. I like that. Is there hope? Back last year when people were analyzing and, and dissecting and everything, you had, you know, a hundred people go say, I'm running for Congress. They just, they were like, it actually was Douglas MacArthur's father, Arthur MacArthur, that led the troops up Missionary Ridge. They just took off. They just took. Yeah. They just charged the hill. And that, that's one of those, like, great organic moments in politics or, or battle. They didn't wait. You know, they all totally couldn't run, or you couldn't raise money, or you had to go to a campaign seminar, and you had to get sanctioned by the DCCC, and you had to shit on that. That's, that's what's really impressive about this cycle. And then everybody is bemoaning the, the crisis and how terrible it is, and, you know, this and that. But a lot of people in the country are like, you know, I ain't got that. Yeah, yep. yeah. James, we'll catch up with you again. Maybe we'll do this in person sometime. Yes, sir. Thank you for everything, man. Thank you for your time and your deep insight. Yes, Safe Thank travels you. to you and the family. Be well, James. You bet. I want to thank James Carville for being here with us today on Murmur. I want to thank you for being here with us today on Murmur. You can be with us anytime on Murmur. Just download the show, subscribe to the show, listen to the show, review the show, share the show. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Twitter, Instagram, at MSF Murmur. If you have a subject you would like me to pair on the show with a guest, send me the subject murmurradio at gmail.com. I'll put a guest to it. We'll go to work, bring you on if you want. If not, just listen, think, share. See ya.